Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Ike Feldman here for another Ike the Gone episode, episode number 25. I feel like this is going to be my best episode. We're going to cover a whole lot in this episode. Again, thank you for subscribing and downloading episodes of the Iktagon. I will be talking MMA, but in about 15 minutes, I'm going to talk about a bigger issue. As you guys can imagine, some stuff that's going on locally in New York, Brooklyn, United States, and internationally. But let's talk about some MMA to start. So I will be doing time marks. You will know where to skip ahead. I'm going to talk about John Jones. I'm going to talk about the UFC fight night from this past weekend with Tyron Woodley and Gilbert Burns. But in about 15 minutes, I'm going to be talking about some uh, some important stuff. And uh, I will be giving my Ike Feldman, Iktagon spin to it. So I hope you guys understand. I hope you guys listen clearly and comprehensive. I'm going to do my best job at present uh, at presenting my opinions and my thoughts clearly. And again, it will be my spin to it. So let's change gears for the meantime. Talk about the non-important stuff. John Jones versus Dana White is happening over money. Yes, money that Jones believes he hopes he's going to get. I mean, it's been rumored that he gets about three to five million in his past fights, his most previous fights, which uh, was UFC 247 against Dominic Reyes and the year prior, UFC 239, UFC 235, UFC 232. So within the, about, uh, the last 15 months, he's fought... Uh, a good amount of times, and if he's making about three to five million in each fight, that that's extremely well. But it is not Conor McGregor money. It is not Deontay Wilder money, as John Jones has put on Twitter. And what turned into a Twitter war between Dana White and John Jones started to pick up steam. Dana White was not happy because I'm guessing that Dana feels he doesn't owe John anything. He pays him extremely well to do what he loves. And he's helped John Jones kind of skate free in a couple sketchy situations, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. Even as a casual sports fan, you could look up uh, John Jones running with the law and with USADA, which is the anti-doping agency that the UFC works with. So John Jones has had a very, very extensive 
past of problems. And Dana White, I guess he feel uh, felt that he would never have to go to the well in terms of insults and public uh, the shaming of uh, or public shaming of John Jones, his uh, greatest athlete under the regimen of Dana White. But John Jones is not happy with the money that he's making. Again, is it three, five, seven million? He says he wants Deontay Wilder money. And Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, Conor McGregor, they're all making north of $30, $40 million. John Jones has proven that he's, he will fight as long as he's not getting in trouble. But he will fight every three months if he can and roll up the money. But I guess he feels that his career is starting to slow down. He's on the other side of his peak. And how many more big paydays does he has? And this comes on the heels of John Jones being rumored to fight the hardest puncher in UFC history in Francis Ngannou. John Jones and Francis Ngannou are not in the same weight class. John Jones is at light heavyweight, which is the 205-pound weight limit for a weigh-in. Francis Ngannou fights in heavyweight, so John Jones feels this is the time. Not all his championship fights, not all his consecutive records, not everything he's done inside of the cage but he feels this is the fight that he needs to get paid is it 10 is it 15 is it 20 is it 30 million does he deserve it a year ago dana white would have defended john jones but when it comes down to the bottom line the dollar dana white and obviously other entrepreneurs and capitalists want the money in the dollar and john jones has been a great business partner with dana white and a great cash cow for the ufc but John Jones feels that his value is a little more. And Dana White pulls out his ace in the card and says that John Jones has done enough damage to himself that he should just kind of shy away and be happy with his 3 to $5 million that he makes. Being the greatest of all time doesn't mean you get $30 million. Being able to sell. John Jones has done a lot of things to himself. He's saying, in one of his tweets, he was saying that I tarnished his... I tarnished you? You've done a very good job of tarnishing you. Um, I haven't done that. Um, and, uh, you know, Hunter told him, I'll walk in. You can come in here and walk through the numbers. I'll walk you through all the numbers. And he says, I don't give a fuck what the numbers are. I want what I want, and that's it. It's not how life works. Why don't you guys fly back and tell your boss, I don't give a fuck what this company makes. This is what I want. You're going to give it to me. See how that fucking works out for you. Now, let's look at this from three logical but very different perspectives. Is John Jones worth it? Does it matter? Like, meaning, does the number even matter? It's John Jones, give it to him. Or should John Jones be counting his blessings? So, the first question is John Jones worth it? Or the first perspective? From UFC fans' perspective and John Jones' perspective, obviously, we feel that... Actually, I can't speak for all the fans because some of them would say Dana White is correct that John Jones should just be hush-hush and shy away and be quiet and 
cast back into the shadows as you were. Be happy with your five million. And I understand their argument and their point of view. And uh, I understand it. Doesn't mean I agree with it. Does it matter? John Jones' past? Should he be counting his blessings about his past? Dana White says yes. From that quote I just played you about John Jones tarnishing his own legacy, he's saying he could have been the LeBron James of this era or of all time, and LeBron James is probably going to go down as a top five NBA player of all time. But John Jones isn't going to be in the same conversation as LeBron James with a paycheck. That's where the issue is. There's a huge stat that's been floating around, and I would love to see a reporter who is face-to-face in a press conference with Dana White, even a, a fighter who is face-to-face, or even a fighter who has the power or the uh, the leverage to state this. But the rumor is that NBA, MLB, and NFL athletes, they control about 45 to 55% of the overall revenue. So let's put a mean number, a medium number, an average number on this. That means in all other sports, the big three sports, I guess throw hockey in there, the four sports, hockey, I'm assuming they the players are making at least 40% of the overall revenue. If a league makes $5 billion a year and the NFL makes about 12 to $15 billion a year. So $5 billion would be way low on the, the scale of this. The players are making about $2.5 billion. And again, just do the math. If it's $10 billion, the players are making $5 billion that you can just spread across 300, 400, 500, 600 players. And obviously, the NFL has a lot more players than any other sport. But... In terms of the UFC players or fighters revenue, they garner about 15 to 16% of the billions of dollars. I assume the UFC is at least making $2 billion, hopefully. Otherwise, things need to change very fast. But the ESPN error will help them make money. But $2 billion, the fighters are not making 50% of that. They're making 15, 1, 5 and how much of that is going to the top five fighters in the sport? And John Jones included, but Brock Lesnar hasn't fought in a while. But when he does fight him, he commands a hell of a lot of money. Conor McGregor is the cash cow. He says that after pay-per-view buys, he's bringing in 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars. So how much of that 15, 16, or 17 percent is going to Conor McGregor? And Daniel Cormier, he says he's maybe makes a million, maybe two million. Stipe Miocic, maybe seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, maybe a million dollars. John Jones is kind of knocking on the gatekeeper's door in the cash, and it sucks because he could be a very influential athlete if it isn't for his sketchy pass and his blemishes and his screw-ups outside of the cage he would be probably commanding a lot more money but this comes down to the fighters I hope I hope the reason why I am team Jones I'm team money if the UFC can make money if John Jones can make money I'm team money 
But if I have to pick a team between UFC brass, UFC management and executives versus John Jones and the fighters, I got to go with the fighters. If John Jones can get paid a lot more money, and it's not like he's asked for this in the past. He's he's banking that if he's taken this chance to move up to heavyweight, a division that he's never competed in, he's been at 205 pounds for the past decade, and against the hardest-hitting puncher of this generation, I'm not joking about that, listen. Francis Ngannou has the world record for the most powerful punch. His punch is the equivalent to 96 horsepower, which is equal to getting hit by a Ford Escort going as fast as it can. Um, and it's more powerful than a 12-pound sledgehammer swung full force from overhead. Holy shit. Yeah, John Jones is taking that risk against a guy who hits as hard as, I know it's electric car and my wife could probably flip it over, but he hits as hard as a 40 mile an hour Prius. Imagine him punching you in the knee. That's as fast as a 40 mile an hour car hitting you while you're crossing the street. So yeah, he punches pretty hard. Guarantee you he would knock out John Jones if he lays his fist on him. But John Jones is saying, is the risk worth it? If I'm gonna make an all time epic super fight for the UFC, I want to be compensated for it. Because if I get knocked out, my whole legacy, my whole lure gets diminished. Even though it's in a different division, the risk is still there. And I am team fighter and team John Jones in this situation. But, I mean, look at other sports. If the UFC, wanted to, if the UFC wants to be considered a sport or move in that direction you paid the best fighters the most money not who makes the most money for you think about it conor mcgregor because he does all the craziness makes the most money but in other sports cristiano ronaldo he's not throwing chairs at press conferences Tiger Woods isn't throwing dollies through windows. And is Tom Brady, TB12, the good old boy Tommy B, is he saying any racy comments on Twitter about Peyton Manning? The answer to all those questions is no. Each sport's best athlete gets paid because of what they do in competition, not for how much eyeballs they bring to the, the court or to the baseball field or to the gridiron, the football field. If that was so, Tim Duncan and Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili, some of the most boring NBA fundamental athletes would be poor. And they've won five championships under the... Uh, the coaching of the great Greg Popovich. So Tom Brady, it's not super flashy. I mean, he wins, he throws the ball, throws touchdowns. It's fun. But a flashy offense is the Matt Ryans of the world with the Falcons in the heyday, is the the Colts with Peyton Manning. Tom Brady would be broke as well. So Dana White should pay somebody who hasn't lost in 10 years. I understand the outside of the cage problems that comes with John Jones. I mean, he just recently had a DUI, I, I believe in March, which is a, an awful look, but John Jones should be getting paid 
Deontay Wilder or Conor McGregor money. He should. But looking forward as like a fight purist and a martial artist, like let's get this fight going. Let's let's pay these guys. Pay Francis Ngannou two million. Pay John Jones ten to fifteen million. Let's go. Let's go. This fight's gonna be incredible. The heaviest puncher we've seen in the existence of UFC versus the greatest fighter of all time. Let's do it. Winner gets a title fight against the winner of Daniel Cormier, who John Jones has beaten twice, and Stipe Miocic, who beat Francis Ngannou. So it's a nice little love square, not a triangle, a square. There's four sides to this equation. I mean, don't listen to me, just sell it to you. There's other people who agree with me. John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. Why'd you have to go there, dude? Yes, yes, yes. This fight needs to happen, and it will be a shame if it doesn't. John Jones can't be asking for 50 or 40 million, but please pay the man 20 million dollars. I mean, he's done so much for you, Dana White, and filling in the gap in between McGregor absences and McGregor losses and Ronda Rousey absences and losses and same things with Brock Lesnar. He's been your steady go-to side chick, and now your side chick wants to meet the family, and you're like, no, stay away from my family. Make the fight happen, please. Stop with the drama. Pay these guys, all right? We've find out that you're a billionaire and that Zufa and IMG and WME, William Morris Endeavor, uh, Ari Emanuel, you guys are billionaires. So get somebody to level with John Jones. He's trying his best. I guarantee you, if, if he knows there's a little carrot at the end of the tunnel for 2020, I guarantee you he'll be on his best behavior. So you make money by him making money. Everybody makes money. I know it's Oh, it opens the door for other fighters to kind of wedge themselves in for negotiating contracts. Other fighters have lost within the last six months. John Jones is one of those rare athletes, generational UFC fighters who hasn't lost in a decade. Pay the man. Pay the man his money. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Now, moving forward, some actual fights did happen. Thank goodness they were on ESPN, which is cool, but still, unfortunately, it's behind a paywall. The best talent that the UFC has to show to the public, uh, UFC pay-per-view paywall. I mean, especially in the times we're in where not everybody's working. I don't care if it's a stimulus check. Let the fights be free. UFC 249, I paid. Call me Stunad. Call me an MMA addict. But I don't know if I'm going to pay that much for UFC 250. I, I might find a way to watch it for free. Because the UFC should be putting it on ESPN. And if you have an ESPN Plus membership, they should at least make it free to those viewers and uh, subscribers. That's fair. I mean, the WWE does it. And Dana White is very boisterous about following in the footsteps of Vince McMahon. I mean, I'm sure ESPN would be happy to scoop up those extra subscribers, but Dana White wants to just keep squeezing the dollars out of the pay-per-view model. Uh, DAZN, D-A-Z-N, who has, what's his name, uh, Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin, and I think Anthony Joshua's under there, but if you pay for the monthly subscription for DAZN, then you get the pay-per-view fights for free which is outstanding and awesome and if you watch a pay-per-view a month which could be 50 to 60 dollars in two months you get your money's worth so that's 120 dollars and it's 10 dollars a month so you break out 
on the other side of that. UFC maybe raise the the price of ESPN Plus, make it $7.99 a month, $7.95. They never do the nine anymore. Make it $9.99 a month and give the pay-per-views to the subscribers. That's what WWE and the WWE Network does. So evolve people, please. So on to some real fights that were on ESPN and ESPN Plus. Start from the bottom fights. The the fight started off with the four straight finishes. Chris Gutierrez versus Vince Morales. He beated uh, Gutierrez beat Morales by TKO leg kicks, just leg kick after leg kick after leg kick, and you just started to see the welts and the bruises start to form on Morales's leg, and he just collapsed. The referee stepped in. It was weird because his mind was good, his upper body was good, but his legs just shut off and said, "No more, no mas, no mas." Great, great TKO victory. You don't really see that many leg kick victories. I saw a stat. I believe that's only the fourth or fifth stoppage by leg kicks in UFC history. So that was amazing. Casey Kenny versus uh, Luis Smoka. Luis Smoka's been around for a long time. Battles with uh, depression, losses, and he was at the top of the food chain at one point in the flyweight division, and he... Fortunately, moves up in weight and same result gets submitted and it's okay he could bounce back he's uh he's a cool guy he's a smart guy he's a cerebral guy but he needs to see if he really is committed to doing this uh the fight of the night award against brandon uh royville and tim elliott who's my boy i'll always watch a tim elliott fight royville Beat Elliott by submission. It was a back and forth fight. Uh, Elliott kind of puts himself in those dangerous situations by always exposing his neck. He's confident in his defense, his wrestling defense, and his submission defense. But fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I'm going to submit you with the guillotine. So big win by Brandon Royval. That was the third consecutive stoppage to start this card. And Jamal Hill versus Clidson Abreu. Oh my gosh. Brayu is a submission specialist and a Muay Thai artist. Well, he got outdone because uh, Jamal just poured it on him with the strikes, the rangy strikes. It was almost like a taller version of Israel Adesanya. It was beautiful to watch. Jamal Hill is uh, always improving, always evolving. Brayu, I don't know if he's going to come back with the UFC. He may have one more fight if he's lucky on the UFC, but... His time is a ticking. Moving up on the card, Caitlin Chukagan, who fought Valentina Shevchenko back uh, uh, the co-main event with the John Jones-Dominic Reyes card, UFC 247, February 8th in Houston. She, uh, Kuchagin lost that fight, got dominated by Valentina, who's one of the best fighters of all time. Closing in on top 10 of all time, definitely top 15 of all time. But... Chukagin says, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, Shevchenko sisters, not going to happen. She faces uh, Valentina's sister, Antonina. Antonina is the 12th ranked fighter in the women's flyweight division. And she's been on a roll. I think she's won three fights in a row with the UFC. But Chukagin is a seasoned vet, well-rounded fighter, really good striking, really good grappling. Really good pacing, really good pressure, really good defense, well-rounded fighter. And her veteran experience showed that Antonina, not Valentina Shevchenko, needs to 
maybe fight a few more girls before she could start to crack on the, the top five of the women's flyweight division. So it was a fun fight, but it was dominating. It was a one-sided fight. Uh, to the main card, Mackenzie Dern, the very storied, very marketable Mackenzie Dern. She is a former world jiu-jitsu champion. She's very marketable. The UFC continues to try to push her, even with her given birth, which shouldn't be a big deal. And for her missing weight multiple times, she defeats Hannah Cyphers. Big underdog with Cyphers, but Cyphers was coming out strong with the pressure and seemed like she was winning some of the exchanges. Mackenzie Dern landed a kick, got into a grappling exchange, landed to her back, was still grabbing a hold of Cypher's leg, turns into a knee bar. Cypher's is in a shark tank with Mackenzie Dern, who is a jiu-jitsu world champion. Mackenzie Dern completes the first knee bar in women's mixed martial arts history. First woman to do it. Uh, I'm still on the fence about calling it women's mixed martial arts. It should just be called first woman to do a submission knee bar. But we move on. The fight of the night, in my opinion. I mean, they gave the fight of the night to Brandon Raval and uh, Tim Elliott. But the fight of the night, in my opinion, was Spike Carlisle. The very marketable Spike Carlisle. He's an animal. He's a true personality and shows it in competition, which I like. All that other crap with the build-up, throwing the chairs and the dollies and all the, the racy stuff that some fighters do to get recognition and make a lot of money is not the cleanest of route. I like somebody like a Diaz brother who's very calm and quiet and poised and calculated outside of the cage, but inside the cage, that's his time to market himself and shine. And we, uh, we see that often with Spike Carlisle. I believe this is only his second fight in UFC, but every round that he's involved in, it just has a story to its round. And he was facing somebody named Billy Quarantillo. Not joking, it's, it's we're in quarantine and Billy Quarantillo pops up to make his UFC debut and he looked fantastic. He was the more aggressive fighter. He had many, many, many submission attempts that he was throwing up against Spike Carlisle. He looked awesome. Uh, and I passed over this. Roosevelt Roberts had another uh, had a submission over Brock Weaver, which was beautiful jujitsu. Roosevelt Roberts, look for that kid. Speaks well, very aggressive, great style, and it's jujitsu based. Very similar similar to the fight that I was just talking about with Billy Quarantillo and Spike Carlisle. It's fun, man, to see these jujitsu guys who are very comfortable off their uh, off the on the floor, off the floor. What what what? on the floor and can handle themselves and just throw caution to the wind when it comes to the striking because what are they going to do? Take him down? That's what I'm saying. A guy to beat a Khabib Nurmagomedov who is known as the most dominant fighter in UFC history, only lost one round. I think it was the third round to Conor McGregor. I think a guy to beat Khabib will be a jiu-jitsu guy who's got great striking and who's not afraid to be taken down and can just use elite level jujitsu against probably the best grappling we've seen and that could have been Tony Ferguson it could be George St. Pierre but we need a black belt in jujitsu a true black belt somebody who is multiple degrees and multiple years in their black belt journey to compete with Khabib Nurmagomedov so 
I'm just happy to see these jujitsu guys throw punches. Like uh, Brian Ortega is one of those guys who's uh, a very seasoned jujitsu black belt. Ron Gracie, very seasoned jiu-jitsu black belt, and they're not afraid to strike because what are you going to do? Take them down. So that was an amazing fight. The co-main event, eh, not so much. Augusto Sakai against Blagoy Ivanov went back and forth. Sakai has some controversy hanging over his head because he grabbed the fence on what could have been a takedown late in the fight, but he outstruck and did more damage to Blagoy than vice versa. And... He won. The fight was alright. Again, this isn't the best talent the UFC has to represent, and this is on ESPN. I kind of feel like this is, like, why are we hiding the hot chick? Why are we hiding the fast car in the corner and, and the showcase at Dana White? Make the pay-per-views free, please. The best talent should be showcased to the world. We can see Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Cristiano Ronaldo free on ESPN. But yet we can't see Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, Francis Ngannou. Come on. Give us something. You're doing great by getting these fights together. But you're kind of penny pinching us with these pay-per-view costs. And it's $65 even if you have the ESPN Plus subscription. I digress. The main event. Gilbert Burns, Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley, the former UFC welterweight champion of the world. He is the second greatest welterweight champion of the world. You have George St. Pierre, GSP, who has all the records at welterweight. Welterweight, Tyron Woodley. A lot of W's going on here. Tyron Woodley, I believe he had four straight defenses. Beat Wonderboy, Damian Maya, Darren Till. Who else? Uh, Wonderboy twice. And... Never got the recognition, never got the respect from the fans. I'm still arguing with UFC commentators online about why Tyron Woodley is the second best. I'm not saying he's the best, I'm saying he's the second best. Yeah, so there's a drop-off after George St. Pierre, it's Tyron Woodley. And then there's a little drop-off to Matt Hughes. And then there's a huge drop-off in the welterweight division. So, yes, Tyron Woodley is the number two of all time, but he's in a bit of a rut. He's 38 years old, he's lost two in a row. By dominating fashion, Kamaru Usman at UFC 235 dominated Tyron Woodley for five rounds. Gilbert Burns, not afraid to strike, grapple, wrestle, pressure, box, get in the pocket with Tyron Woodley, dominated Woodley for another five rounds. But is Tyron Woodley's run over as a an elite UFC welterweight? Maybe, but I don't believe so. Look at the rankings. I believe... That a Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington fight is perfect. The UFC missed the ball or dropped the ball on that when they put together the Darren Till, Tyron Woodley fight back at UFC 228. But this is the time to do Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington. Covington just got finished at UFC 245 in December with a broken jaw, blood leaking all over the place. Let the man get a full year to recover. Put this fight together in the fall. Do it. At MSG in November, maybe there'll be some fights. Do it at Vegas in December. Not at the Apex. Hopefully there'll be some fights and fans to see it. But give Colby Covington more time. I know he's out there in the media saying he could have fought in May. Uh, Come on. 
Kobe, you just had a broken jaw five months earlier. Like, you did a full training camp now and you're getting punched in the face? Not smart. Uh, give Tyron Woodley more time to think and reset and refocus and see if he really does want to continue. And I think in six months, seven months, eight months, that'd be the perfect time for Tyron Woodley versus Colby Covington. I think do Gilbert Burns versus Leon Edwards. You got to do Masvidal versus Kamaru Uswin. It sells. It's big. Both guys are at the peak of their careers right now. Let's see who's going to be the true champion of the UFC welterweight division. So I'm not giving up on Woodley. I'm not giving up on the UFC matchmaking, even though they put Burns as the number one welterweight. I know Woodley was just the number one welterweight because he lost the belt. But Burns is not ahead of Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, and Jorge Masvidal. Come on now. Come on now. Please. Please. And I want you guys to hear from Tyron Woodley's coach, one of his coaches. He's coached by Duke Rufus and Dean Thomas. Dean Thomas, who is one of the head coaches out of ATT, American Top Team, in Coconut Creek, Florida. You know, fighters that train out of there like Tiago Santos, Joanna Young Jacek, Jorge Masvidal, Kobe Covington formerly. But I want you to hear this quote from Dean Thomas, which is kind of going to lead into my next segment of the Iktagon. And it's Dean Thomas prompting up a potential fight against Kobe Covington and Tyron Woodley not getting his due and now kind of making everybody say, told you so, told you it wasn't that great. I think Tyron Woodley needs a lot more respect. And it's sad that the UFC... And Dana White didn't help push Tyron Woodley a little more. He is a role model. He isn't screwing up like John Jones. He's not commanding a lot of money. He just went out there, did his job, and was an overall good guy. Got caught because he works too hard. Not because he's doing the wrong thing, but because he works too hard. And for some reason, casual fans and even some MMA commentators can't see that. So listen to this quote from Tyron Woodley's coach. Dean Thomas. And Tyron's story from Ferguson, man, he, he's gone through the hell and he's made it back and he's on top of the world right now. So I think that's like, they dropped the ball in that sense, but it's like uh, MMA fans, they're, they're a little too um, uh, too heavy on Tyron. And, and Tyron fights back. If he wasn't 36 or 37, however, however old he is right now, I think if it was more mature, he might have leashed back. But Thank God that he's older, he's more mature, and he's able to, like, deflect a lot of it. Yeah, well, we talked about that a lot. I mean, uh, he wanted to sometimes. And, sure. Yeah, he wanted to. And like I, attack back? Yeah, he get back. But we but we can't do that, man. You know, that's not that's not the right thing to do. So we had to, you know, calm him down because he is from Ferguson, and there's a lot of issues in Ferguson. He sure. is from there. And for all this to be happening around the same time, like him having his career come up at the same time where all this is all this racial stuff is happening. True. And then when he wins the belt, like everybody he thought it was gonna be so great and but he was getting all this backlash and, and he didn't really even come out publicly with it, but he's getting all these messages from fans calling him names and oh, Yeah, and it was bad for him and it hurt his feelings. Like Tyron is a, a people person and it hurt his feelings to be the champ best of the world and not get the expectation of what he thought it would be is like Everybody's going to love me, but it wasn't like that. And that quote comes from my former project, Outside the Cage. And it's true. It's all true. And you could say that Dean Thomas is a little biased because of it. it's his guy, but it's true. 
Tyron Woodley when I he went on the Joe Rogan podcast. I saw some tension. Tyron Woodley, whenever he is being spoke about about Dana White, Dana White's shaping the media to kind of hate Tyron Woodley. I mentioned earlier on this episode that Dana White controls a lot of the narrative. When he needs John Jones to be his guy, he will make him his guy. He will cover up the blemishes. When he needs a point of argument, money with John Jones and Dana White, Dana White will make it about John Jones' mishaps and blemishes and bring all the skeletons out of the closet. I'm sure you would hear a lot more if this issue gets pressed a lot more, but to Tyron Woodley, somebody who should have been prompted up a lot more, somebody who stepped up to fight the next guy in line, who didn't hold out and wait for a more money fight against Colby Covington, he deserves a lot more respect and he commands respect from you guys. He's not going out there and when I say command respect, he's not screaming, I need respect, but he should command the respect of the UFC MMA athlete and uh, all communities that kind of circle around what Tyron Woodley's done for the UFC and as a role model. So, and he's he's from Ferguson, Missouri, where uh, where things have been known to be very depressing, and. That leads me to what I want to talk about next. That's the death of George Floyd and all the aftermath that's followed. So let's start. I am going to harp on three, three parts to what's going on with this situation in the world and Minneapolis and New York and all over the United States and what everybody's seeing around the world. The three parts are law enforcement, the cops, the protesters, the people with the signs and chanting and marching, and the criminals, the people looting, the people fighting, the people shooting, stabbing, that should be arrested no matter what. So pay attention to the three parts because I will bring it all up early and often and keep reminding you the three parts and not to blur the lines in terms of whose fault everybody wants to point the finger whose fault it is it's everybody's fault but i want to start with the cops a poorly trained cop was put in a tough situation that he was clearly not trained for a knee on a neck is way too aggressive for the given situation and was clearly a power trip on the untrained officer now, before I get to a sound clip that I want to play for you guys, let me be clear. I am not anti-cop. I am not anti-cop. My best friend and the best man at my wedding is a cop and an amazing cop that has worked for over seven years inside one of the most dangerous districts in the United States of America, East New York. His precinct is so intense that a documentary can be found on Netflix, which was made about the lawlessness that goes on in the 75th precinct. My friend has seen it all. Maybe one day I'll get him on the Octagon, but 
I believe his main focus is not to be a publicized hero, but to be an absolute shield of righteousness and courage and hope. Hope that one day more and more cops will be as savvy as he is. He's a real-life projection of what former UFC fighter turned highly successful coach Elliot Marshall wants cops to be. He believes that cops should be mentally trained and physically obviously trained a lot better. So listen closely, people. You want these cops to not to not shoot people? Black, white, whoever, I don't care, whatever, you know? Get them on the mat. Get them getting their ass kicked, okay? That builds real confidence. That builds, again, you have to learn how to compromise and talk to people, okay, and get along. When, when you get fucked up all the time, that, that builds a camaraderie and a, and, a, and a caring for another actual human being. So you, you won't, and, and you learn how to defend yourself. So your, your instinct won't be to grab your gun when you're scared. Dude, right? That's true. Because that's all this is. That's all this is. People are scared. They don't know what to do. They have this gun on their waist, you know, and then they, boom, out it comes. Dude, it's true. My best friend's boxed a little. He's grappled a little. He says it's literally his quote, his quote. He's like, it's the pussy cops that go for the gun first. He's like, you should be able to approach confidently and not get all like uh, worked up because it's a little stressful situation, as you're saying. That's your job. Your job is to deal with stressful situations, right? Like you're, yes, you might. Yes, I get it. That guy committed a crime. I I 100% get it. That doesn't mean you die. You know, that, yeah, sure, he should have put his hands at 10 and 2, and he didn't. I get it, but this is your job. This is what you have to deal with. The answer is not shooting these people. You know, the answer, I, I, you know, is not, yeah, I, sure, maybe they deserve to go to jail. You know, yes, but that's why we have jail. That's why we have a court system. You, you are not the judge and the jury, and I, and I get it. Your life is on the line. So actually care that your life is on the line. Be in shape, first of all. True, true. Be in shape, okay? If you're not in shape, you should not be able to be on the street because how the fuck are you going to do anything other than than pull your gun? And two, actually know how to fight. Actually know how to control somebody without having to shoot them or just beat them with your billy club. You know, control them with your hands. It's a hard thing, right? It's not easy. It's not easy at all, but, you know, you signed up for a tough job. Bravo. Bravo freaking oh. Isn't that perfect? Train these cops better through martial arts. I love it, and I believe it. It's scary when I'm on the mats with some law enforcement, not my boy, because he is a hulking figure, and he would rip me in half. And that's kind of a reason I'm sure that that's why he does so well on his beat on his patrols of the tough neighborhood he works in because he says the the least equipped cops mentally and physically will go to their gun first my friend is trained in boxing wrestling jujitsu and he's a cool guy he's a very secure man and he knows how to talk to these guys. Even if they're a criminal, there is still due process. He knows that they're going away. But he will still... 
understand the situation and not try to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner in any situation. But to Elliot Marshall's quote, I believe a lot more of these law enforcement officers, male or female, should be trained a lot better. Your ego goes down when you kick somebody's ass. I mean, it gets scary when somebody who rolls in who just served a tour in Iraq and I'm just rolling with them on the mats, kind of having my way. And I understand it's not a life or death situation. There's no knife involved. There's no rock on the floor that he could use to get out of a submission or something. But it's still scary that they're not in full function of their body weight. And... I believe with correct fundamental training, meaning martial art techniques and more extensive verbal training and communication in the academy and post-academy because it can never end the learning process, the amount of mishandled arrests that lead to deaths will drop drastically. I believe that. Unfortunately, for real change that I hope for, it may take a few years to incorporate new techniques into a system that's been engineered for decades already. Could imagine it may not just be six months or 12 months or two years or five years if we're going to do a whole fundamental change in how law enforcement is trained it will take some time but i'm sure the situations that we're seeing in the street are speeding up the process and every day in precincts before uh, an officer goes on their beat i'm sure they're being updated and information's being jammed into their minds about how to handle the current situation. So uh, I believe the process is speeding up. Even though it's not in the books uh, that are in the academy, I believe it's it's definitely being addressed. But what the hell is going on outside? It is like a damn movie. Fires everywhere. Anarchists everywhere. Looters everywhere. What the hell is going on? I mean, seriously, I joke with the Joker clip, like, that's how things are, but I mean, it it is kind of like that, I mean, we need a hero, we need somebody who can help us, we need the Cape Crusader. Seriously, we need a hero, someone to stand above this anarchy and deliver a neutral message. How about a black man? Nope, can't have a black man play Batman. Can't call it black man. Can't have a super duper man. Can't have a super dope man play Superman. Can't have a black guy do that or a minority or Spanish guy because historically, How dare you alter my fictional character's history. For those of you that didn't see, Idris Elba was gonna be James Bond. Not only was he going to be James Bond and play the role, 
the historic role of James Bond and it would have been the 25th installment of James Bond, he would have been a friggin' excellent James Bond. He's good looking, he's smart, he has the freaking British accent. I believe he's in Snatcher, he's in some uh, guy Richie movies, but he's fantastic. He's in shape. Have you guys seen him in his movies, Takers, uh, Molly's Game? What's the other one? Dark Tower or Fights Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, it would have been a black James Bond, but this is a guy who wears a suit. It's not a freaking comic book hero. Like, this could have been the first time that we broke or changed history in a classy, classy way. But instead, Hollywood or the naysayers disheartened Elba and kind of scared him away from it. And maybe it is going to take somebody that's a... A little more strong-minded than Elba. I'm not saying he's not, but it's it's very unfortunate and it's sad because he would have been an excellent James Bond. People are just stupid. Stupid. I mean, are you surprised? I believe the Corona beer has been directly affected positive, positively or negatively by the coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus. Seriously. Some people are making that connection. So these are probably the same people that disheartened Elba and shied him away from taking a role that would have changed his career and would have been amazing and would have been history, actually. Would have been history. But the 25th installment of the James Bond franchise, all played by white leads, will be played once again by Daniel Craig and No Time to Die, which was postponed, but it's unfortunate. So moving on. Back to the anarchy into cops being trained fundamentally a lot better and the other idiot looters and criminals that are not protesters get that right please the people that are throwing trash cans through soho gucci stores are not protesters those are criminals on any given day they should be arrested they're not peaceful protesters so please people figure it out figured out because there's a lot of disarray that's why i'm harping on these elements law enforcement protesters and the criminals there are three groups to this story being told the history being written and we need to be more cognizant of how we conduct ourselves be more aware. Don't just be some numbskulls that stare at their phone and just their brain turns to mush. Just not telling you to go out and vote against global warming, but I'm telling you to be a little more aware and listen to your surroundings because your surroundings are all you have. Social media, yeah, it's extensive. It's the world. It's, it's amazing. All in your pocket, but your surroundings is real. The people you affect on a daily basis is real. How you look, how you act, your body language, it's real. And not every black guy is a criminal. And not every white guy is a KKK member. So everybody needs to be a lot smarter and guided. And I believe somebody in a prominent position can sway the minds of this unguided protesting group. Uh, I, I really need to see a smart, well-spoken black man or black female to be at the forefront of this and be in the public. 
I understand that we're seeing local judges, senators, authors speak out about the social injustice and what's going on. But in all honesty, I tell you not to stare at your phones, but you're probably watching me on your phone. The people that are watching me on their phone are the people that need to be shaken, need to be rattled a little. And I think the message doesn't get in inceptioned into their brain unless it is a prominent actor or athlete. And please stop. I don't need the Leonardo DiCaprio, Bradley Coopers, the Robert Downey Juniors of the world to speak out on minority social injustice. Please don't need that. But what I do need is the Michael Jordans, the Chris Rocks, the Denzel Washingtons, the LeBron James of the world, not just to tweet and post from the comforts of their couch. I can do that. They need to be in the streets. They need to be at the forefront of this. They need to be in front of a group of people and protesters and be the voice of reason, a guided voice. Even the people who don't agree with the protesters or what they're standing for, God forbid those people are out there, they can listen to a Will Smith or a Michael Jordan speak about an issue. And there's a reason why I didn't say Barack Obama, because I believe Barack Obama comes with a career of some baggage that people don't agree with. Will Smith and Michael Jordan haven't really done anything wrong to anybody besides just entertain us for decades on decades on decades. I asked for them to speak because they would capture the ear and the attention of those that are locked into their phone. Oh, what's going on today? What's going on today? One of these phones doesn't work, so don't worry about that. But I need them to capture everybody's attention and to point everybody in the right direction. And until they do, it's sad and it's borderline cowardice if they're just going to put out tweets and post and well-written screenshots from their publicists. So things need to change on all fronts. Cops, protesters, criminals, just arrest them. Criminals are not the cops. Criminals are not the protesters. Criminals are criminals. So to close, and thank you for listening this long and making it this far, I commend you. All I talk about, all I want you to get is a positive message and that we just be better people. I haven't done a positive message at the end of uh, an Iktagon episode in many, many months, but maybe I should have kept it going. Even if I change the minds or just open up the minds or just catch the ear of 100 people, then I feel in my opinion that I'm doing my job. So I'm trying to use my platform to uh, spread some love. So to close... We praise the peacemakers and the celebrities or the stars or the athletes who take their platform serious and who want to make real change. 
but there may never be another human being like Muhammad Ali, who is a combat sports athlete. He was not only the best at his craft, but he was willing to take a lifetime of abuse, hate, and negativity and turn it into eternal strength. Ali won the Olympic gold in 1960 in Rome, Italy, and came back to the United States of America and was not served at a local diner. So to wrap, law enforcement. We need much more verbal and physical training and you need to make millions and millions of copies of my friend Joe. Seriously, like the, uh, the Clone Wars and Star Wars. Make a bunch of stormtroopers. The stormtroopers were good, people, if you watch the movies. They were good before they went bad. But we need more Joes on the street and on the beat. Protesters. It's not your fault, but where is the guided leadership? Where's the Muhammad Ali of today? There will never be another Muhammad Ali, but where's somebody that can kind of fill his shoes? That's what's needed because it's getting uglier and uglier in the streets. Criminals on both sides, both sides of the fence, arrest them all. There's no room for negativity in society. No room for hate. No room for arrogance or power trips in this society. But there's plenty of room for love. Thank you. Stay positive. That's it. Just stay positive. Everything was white. Santa Claus was white. And everything bad was black. The little ugly duckling was a black duck. And the black cat was the bad luck. And if I threaten you, I'm going to blackmail you. <laughs> I said, Mama, why don't you call it white male? They lie too. <laughs> I, well, I was always curious. And then and <laughs> this is when I knew something was wrong. <laughs> Won the Olympic gold medal in Rome, Italy. Olympic champion, the Russian standing right here, and the pole right here. Dun, 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 I'm standing so proud. Dun, 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 And I don't hope the world of America. Dun, 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 I took my gold medal, thought I'd invented something. I said, man, I know I'm going to get my people freedom there. I'm the champion of the whole world, Olympic champion. I know I can eat downtown now. And I went downtown that day, had my big old medal on, and went in the restaurants. At that time, black things weren't integrated. The black folks couldn't eat downtown. And I went downtown, and I sat down, and I said, you know, a cup of coffee, a uh, hot dog. He said, the lady said, we don't serve Negroes. <laughs> I'm so mad. I said, I don't eat them either. Just give me a cup of hot I said, I'm the Olympic gold medal. One, three days ago, I fought for this country in Rome. I won the gold medal, and I'm going to eat. The manager heard her tell the manager, and she says, he said, well, I'm not the, I'm not the man. Now, he's got to go out. Anyway, I didn't raise the money. They put me out. 
And I had to leave that restaurant in my hometown where I went to church and served in their Christianity and fought and daddy fought in all the wars. Just wanted to go mentally. Couldn't eat downtown. I said, something's wrong. And from then on, I've been a Muslim. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.